Hello everybody, uh, here we are again by video. I'll be back with you in Mafra next Sunday, God willing, and uh, provided the lockdown doesn't creep out again. Uh, but we, today we're going to start a series on the Book of Acts. Uh, was, Nathan suggested some time ago that Acts would be a good next book to look at, and I'm looking forward to it, and I hope you are too. I've never really preached all the way through book, the Book of Acts before, so I'm looking forward to learning a lot of good things, and I trust it'll be a great blessing to us as a church here in Mafra as we look at uh, the very earliest days of the, the Christian movement. So let's pray and commit our time to God and ask that he'll help us. Uh, Lord God, our loving Heavenly Father, we ask that by your Spirit today you would take these words about your Son and write them on our hearts. Uh, we pray that you would open our minds to understand the Scriptures, just as Jesus did with his apostles all those years ago. Uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please get your Bibles and we're going to read the first 11 verses of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptised with water, but you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Do you remember Winston Churchill, the uh, great English Prime Minister during the Second World War? One of his great gifts was speech making, which rallied the entire nation. And some of those speeches have become very famous and, and well remembered. One of his greatest ones was delivered after the victory at El Alamein North in North Africa in Egypt. Uh, in the early days of the Second World War, the, the Nazi forces of Germany took all before them and, and rightly people were very scared and they had very few setbacks and one of the earliest was at El Alamein, a battle that the Australian soldiers had a very large part in. And after that battle victory on the 11th of November of 1942, Winston Churchill back home in England gave a speech that included these words, This is not the end. It's not even the beginning of the end but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. Not enough had yet been done to ensure that the, uh, the Nazi forces would be permanently defeated, but there was more than a glimmer of hope now that they'd been overturned in North Africa. Well, Churchill's words could almost be applied to the book of Acts. And so as we read these words from Acts chapter 1, we could say that this first section, in fact the entire book, is the beginning of the end of the coming of God's kingdom. The first three verses of chapter one, uh, the prologue or the introduction, like all good essays, uh, Luke has a plan. 
and uh, he's writing here to let us know what we can expect. Back when I was a teacher, I used to tell students if they're writing an essay or giving a speech, there's three components, it's pretty simple. Uh, the introduction, you tell them what you're going to tell them. The body, you tell them. And then the conclusion, you tell them what you told them. Well here, Luke is telling us what he's going to tell us. He's introducing his, his book. And so he begins in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up. Now notice there he says in his former book. Now what that means is that the book of Acts is a sequel. It's a companion volume. We know Christian history tells us even though the book of Luke and the book of Acts don't actually name their author, we know from Christian history and uh, putting all the pieces of the puzzle together that Luke was the author of both of these things. When he wrote the gospel, he intended it to follow up. He intended to follow it up. So Luke, Luke is the first volume, first book, Acts is the second. It's a companion volume. It's a sequel. And just in the same way that Luke begins the book of Acts, he, he introduces his book that we call Luke, the gospel, in a very similar way. And he says in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you've been taught. So the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts were both written for Theophilus, a man about whom we know nothing, except that he may have been the patron, he may have been someone who put up the money for Luke to engage himself in this task, but certainly he was someone who wanted to be more carefully instructed in the things of the Lord Jesus. Luke presents himself as a careful historian, someone who has, he wasn't physically present to witness the things of Jesus' life, but he's spoken to people where we believe that he probably spoke to Mary. Uh, Luke has done careful inquiries, he's spoken to eyewitness, he's read the things that others have written down, and he's put his own version of things together with particular in him, um, attention to the ordering of events, not just the gospel, but also the book of Acts as well, so that Theophilus can be certain about the things that Jesus said and about the things that Jesus did, in particular his death, burial, resurrection and ascension, so that Theophilus can be certain about these things. Who was Luke? He was a travelling companion of Paul. We can work that out from certain sections of the book of Acts, as we'll see later on. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, Paul, uh, writing to the Colossians, um, passes on a greeting from Luke and he calls him the, the beloved physician. Luke was a doctor as well as a historian. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we read that Luke was with Paul while Paul was in prison. Luke wasn't a prisoner, we don't think, but he was a faithful Christian who saw things through to the end. And uh, he was with Paul even as he wrote his last letter. Uh, he was a dedicated and faithful Christian disciple. Luke in putting together the combination of Luke and Acts, he's actually the biggest single contributor to the, to the entire canon of the New Testament. Paul might have written more of the books that we have, 13 letters in fact, but Luke, in terms of words, wrote most of the New Testament. Luke and Acts is a big chunk of what we now have with it, uh, for us in the Bible. Back to Acts chapter 1, and in the three verses that we've been looking at there, as Luke introduces the book to Theophilus and to us, he starts in an interesting way. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. So we can say that the book of Luke, the gospel, 
is what Jesus began to do and to teach. Until his ascension, which is recorded at the end of Luke chapter 24. And so then we can say that the book of Acts, volume 2, the sequel, is about what Jesus is continuing to do and teach. He taught while he was physically present on earth and he's continuing to teach by his Holy Spirit through the apostles after his ascension to heaven. Volume 1, what Jesus began to do and teach. Volume 2, the book of Acts, what Jesus continues to do and teach. Now the ascension was a favourite um, subject matter of, of Christian artists for a long time. This thing that only is described in um, in the book of Luke and in the, in the book of Acts. Uh, the other New Testament authors assume that it's happened and give little glimpses of it, but only Luke describes it physically. Jesus returned to heaven, received by the clouds. We can say that as it ends the book of Luke and as it begins the book of Acts, it's the hinge that holds this two volume work together. And so the book of Luke ends, we can say that it's that the ascension is the end of the beginning. As the book of Acts begins, we can say that the ascension is the beginning of the end. And so Jesus for 40 days was with the disciples and he was giving them instructions. Now he's, they're called apostles here. A disciple is a follower and a learner. An apostle is someone who's sent on a mission. And so that the word apostles is used in reference to Jesus' followers here. He was giving them instructions over that 40-day period after the resurrection and before the ascension. But what did he teach them? We know from Luke chapter 24 that he taught them that the Old Testament was really about him. And so in Luke 24 at verse 44, we read there that he says that everything about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending you the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. That's a guide to how we should read the Old Testament. Jesus opened his apostles' minds to understand the Old Testament. We need to ask that it'll open our minds as well. They're the three major divisions of what we now call the Old Testament. The books of Moses, Genesis to Deuteronomy, the prophets, which encompassed Joshua all the way through to Malachi, uh, the former prophets and the latter prophets, and then the Psalms is a way of describing the wisdom literature and the poet poetic books of the Bible. They were the three divisions that were observed in the Hebrew scriptures. And Jesus says every part of them is all about him. And if the disciples had been paying careful attention, they would have realised that those three divisions, the entire Old Testament was actually looking ahead to him and finds its fulfilment in him. And with that, they should have seen that the message of the kingdom of God that Jesus came to teach now needs to go to all the nations. So over this 40-day period, Jesus is instructing the disciples how to understand the Old Testament. He's instructing them what they need to do to carry on his work. He appeared over 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, what's the kingdom of God? Well, it's the idea that God, being the world's creator, is its true king. It's expressed in many different ways. The term the kingdom of God isn't in the Old Testament, but there's lots of terms that are related to it. And so it's a concept that we find in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. Psalm 47 verse 2 says, The Lord Most High is awesome. He's the great king over all the earth. Well, the king rules a kingdom, and the whole earth is God's kingdom. 
Genesis 12 verse 3 talks about how God chose Abraham to be the instrument of restoring his blessing, which had been lost because of the curse of the fall. When Adam and Eve decided to rebel against God, the whole world was plunged under God's curse. And to restore his blessing, God chooses Abraham and says that one of your descendants is going to be the person through whom I restore that blessing. And so through a descendant of Abraham, all peoples on earth will be blessed. And really the rest of the Bible is a commentary on how the blessing that God promised to Abraham comes to the earth again. Isaiah, the prophet in chapter 49 verse 6 says that God's salvation is one day going to reach to the ends of the earth. So God's kingdom is promised in the Old Testament as being established. What is God's kingdom? It's the, it's, it, it's the rule of God that extends to the whole earth, establishing his reign of blessing and peace again. Jesus taught about the kingdom. It was his main theme. And so in Luke chapter 4, verse 43, he says to the, uh, the disciples, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also. That is why I came. That's how he defined the, the nature of his mission at that point, to proclaim the good news that God was going to establish his kingdom of blessing on the world again. And so as we continue after the introduction, as we get uh, into the body of the book of Acts, uh, we find there that Jesus is correcting some misplaced expectations of the disciples. So this is the period of, of instruction that he had with them, this 40-day period. And on one occasion, Luke tells us at verse 4, that while he was eating with them, he gave them the command, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift the Father's promised. They were to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit uh, because the Holy Spirit was going to be the means by which God would empower the mission of the apostles that Jesus had commissioned. And so the mission that we see unfolding in the book of Acts is taking the message of Jesus, the message of the kingdom, in the power of the Holy Spirit to the ends of the earth. And it's a, there's a lesson there for us as we continue in Jesus' mission here in Mafra. Uh, we too must be obedient to the command of Jesus. We too must operate in the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus sends. But in verse 6, we find the disciples saying, well, okay, if the kingdom's coming, then is it coming now? They gathered around and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? No doubt they had in mind a verse like this from Micah chapter 4. Micah, one of the great Old Testament prophets, had looked to ahead, ahead to a day when after Israel had been taken captive by the Babylonians, they'd be restored to Jerusalem. And in fact, the kingdom would be restored to, through God's favoured people in Jerusalem. Uh, and so Micah says, As for you, watchtower of the flock, stronghold of the daughter of Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to daughter Jerusalem. The disciples are asking Jesus, is it now? Is, is what Micah is saying, is that going to happen now? And Jesus' answer is full of interest. In verse 7 of Acts chapter 1, he says, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has set by his own authority. In other words, don't worry about the timing. You be faithful, you be patient, get on with your part and leave the timing to God. There's something very important here to remember as well because in every generation there are always people who will say, oh, we've read the signs, we know when Jesus is going to come back, it'll be very soon. Jesus says we can't read the signs. Uh, we too, like the apostles, just simply need to get about our business and leave the exact timing of the return of the Lord Jesus the final establishment of the kingdom, we need to leave that to God. We've got our part to play and it doesn't include trying to work out when it's all going to take place. 
how to understand the coming of the kingdom because Jesus said in his ministry the kingdom had come and yet there's a future dimension to it as well. Well, a well-known old a New Testament scholar, Oscar Kuhlman, came up with the, the idea of likening the coming of the kingdom to the end of the Second World War, not the beginning, but the end of the Second World War happened really in two phases. So the Nazis had gone right through Europe uh, and had uh, threatened even Great Britain, but a, a huge army and uh, an air force and naval contingent was assembled to invade Europe, to retake Europe. And so that's the event that's known as D-Day. And uh, this massive allied force landed on the beaches of Normandy on the 6th of June of 1944. And from the day that they established that beachhead there in the beaches of Normandy, the defeat of the Germans was inevitable. But it took almost a year before it came to pass. It took almost a year before victory was celebrated in Europe on the 8th of May of 1945. And that's a little bit like how we find ourselves in relation to the kingdom of God. The kingdom is now, in other words, we've had D-Day. D-Day was Calvary, where Jesus defeated the forces of evil, where he was raised from the dead and he's ascended to the right hand of God. The, the triumph of the gospel is inevitable. It will come, but it, we're still waiting for the full consummation of that when Jesus returns, and that will be victory day. And so we can say that the kingdom is now, but not yet. It has come, but it's still coming. And we're living in this era between the ascension of Jesus and his return, just as the apostles were. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is almost the essay plan for the whole of the rest of the book. And in here we read Jesus commanding the disciples that in the power of the Holy Spirit they're to go about it like this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now you need to bear that fourfold command in mind as you read and as we preach through the rest of the book of Acts. We'll keep coming back to it. So chapters 1 to 7 of the book of Acts are set in Jerusalem. Chapters 8 to 12 take in the ministry that expanded to Samaria. Chapters 13 to 28 take the gospel all the way to the ends of the earth. We could think of it like this. The message of the book of Acts starts in Jerusalem, just as the book of Luke ended in Jerusalem. Jesus came from Galilee to Jerusalem. Now he has his apostles and he sends them from Jerusalem. So the book of Acts starts in Jerusalem. But then chapter 6, verse 8, to the end of chapter 9, uh, we find that the regions around about Jerusalem are evangelised, the region of Judea. But then the gospel goes to Samaria, uh, as, as we read there as well. But then in chapter 9 through to chapter 12, the gospel goes further afield from, from uh, Samaria and actually comes to a Gentile. And then further on, uh, from chapter 12 through to chapter 16, uh, the gospel goes into the Roman province of Asia. It's gone way beyond the immediate environs of Jerusalem now. Uh, the Roman province of Asia was that part of the world that we would now call Turkey. And the gospel goes there as well. But from there, it goes out into Europe. And so Acts chapter 16 at verse 6, we, we read of the gospel going through into Europe. And then it finishes with Paul in chapter 28 of the book of Acts in Rome. And so we can say that 
the essay plan that Paul that, that, that Luke has written out here in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, recording the words of Jesus, that his apostles will witness for him in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. The book of Acts acts like uh, a series of circles, ever-expanding circles going further and further out as the gospel reaches. Now, clearly the gospel went in other directions as well. It went into Africa. It went further east into Asia. But Luke is telling the story of the expansion from Jerusalem through to Rome. Well, verses 9 to 11 tell us that the way that Jesus established this kingdom is really quite surprising. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. We could ask if Acts is about what Jesus continues to do and teach and if it's about the establishment of God's kingdom, then why is the king leaving the scene? That's a bit puzzling. Wouldn't it be better if he stayed with them? Well, in John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus had addressed that because he was talking about going away and the disciples clearly didn't want him to. But in John 16, verse 7, Jesus says, It's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counsel will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus said if he stayed on earth, he couldn't send the Holy Spirit. And if he didn't return to heaven and didn't send the Holy Spirit, then the mission couldn't go on because the disciples needed to be filled with the Spirit. So in Acts chapter eight, or chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes and you will be my witnesses. What he had talked about in the upper room in John 16 is now coming to pass in Jerusalem. He's ascended to heaven or he's about to ascend to heaven so that he can give the gift of the Holy Spirit to empower the mission to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus is received into the clouds. In chapter 1, verse 10 and 11, uh, we read they were looking up intently into the sky as he was going. He was received into the clouds. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood by the men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking into the sky? In other words, get on with the job. Don't stand looking. Go and get on with being witnesses. It's time to end this phase of your story with Jesus. And then they went on and they said, this same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. So he returned to the clouds. He will come back with the clouds one day. And so the task of being witnesses is one that goes on from his ascension until his return. And that's the part that we've been called to play as well. And so there are lessons here for us, lessons from this original commissioning of the apostles the idea that the gospel has to reach to the ends of the earth in fulfilment of Old Testament prophecy, the, co the commissioning that was given to the apostles to bear witness for Jesus. The book that we have before us is very often referred to as the Acts of the Apostles, but is that really an accurate title for it? Because really it's the Acts of the Ascended Jesus, because Luke is recording the things that Jesus is continuing to do and teach through his spirit-empowered apostles. That's what the book of Acts is all about. It could be thought of this way, I think. Years ago when I was taking the kids to swimming lessons, um, everybody had got out of the pool and they were all in changing and I was, being a dutiful father, waiting for the kids to turn up again. And after all the chaos of swimming lessons, the pool was now completely still. But it was the Drew and Indoor pool and it was winter and there was condensation gathering on the, uh, the domed roof of the Drew and Indoor pool. And as I sat there waiting for the kids to come out with this beautiful mirror-like top of the, uh, the pool, every now and again, 
I'd see a ripple coming out. And so I decided I'm going to keep looking until I can find where that drop of condensation hits the, 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 the glassy top of the, uh, of the water and see where it comes out. And so I found one. And so the ripple hit, the, 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 the drop hit, and then the ripple went out. It was only a tiny drop, but the ripple went all the way to the edge of the pool. We are at the edge of a ripple that began in Jerusalem with the death, the burial, the resurrection, and then the ascension of the Lord Jesus. The apostles, the witnesses of all that took place, obeyed his command to take his message. It went out through Asia, out to Rome, and it's come to the ends of the earth. Isaiah promised that God's salvation will reach to the ends of the earth. It started in Jerusalem. It's reached as far as Mafra. We're at the edge of a ripple that began with those faithful apostles in Acts chapter 1. And so the challenge for us, what must we do? Well, we must, in the power of the Holy Spirit, continue the mission of Jesus by being his witnesses until he returns. We don't know when he's going to return. It's not for us to know when he's going to return. It could be soon. But if it's not soon, we just have to keep on being faithful and with all the time that we have. And the challenge for us is this. If we won't be faithful and be witnesses as Jesus called those first apostles to be, what we're saying by default is that we're content for the mission to reach us and go no further. We're content for the ripple to stop here and go no further and reach out to others. And that would make us faithless disciples of Jesus. Jesus has called us to be part of the ongoing and outgoing work of the gospel, the establishment of the kingdom through the preaching of Jesus to the whole world. Here's a challenge. Will Mafra Community Church outlive us? Will it go on after we've departed the scene? Once we die, will Mafra survive? It will if we're faithful in teaching others the good news that's been taught to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the book of Acts. We thank you that Luke carefully researched these things and wrote them down so that we can know with a certainty about the events that he describes, the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, his ascension to heaven where he's seated at your right hand and how he's going to come again one day. We thank you for this book that uh, teaches us how to go about witnessing, that teaches us some of the essentials of, of what it means to proclaim the gospel. And we pray that you would help us to learn well from what we read so that we'll be equipped to be your servants, to be your witnesses in the generation in which we live. We do pray that in the power of your Holy Spirit, we would be faithful in the Mafra community and wherever we are uh, so that uh, the mission can go on, so that others can come to know Jesus, so that our church will grow and so that for your glory, uh, the message will not stop with us. But uh, for as long as... Uh, it takes until the Lord Jesus returns that our church will, will be a faithful witness to your mercy, your saving grace, and to all that Jesus has done for us. We pray that in the power of your Holy Spirit, these things would come to pass in our lives and in the life of our church. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. See you next week.